welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Lots going on. Yeah, a lot has been been happening since we recorded our last episode. You finally got a chance to see Infinity War. (laughs) I wanted to talk about it earlier on the show, but I didn't want to spoil it for you or, or Mike. But we should just start by talking about something fun, even though it's a, got right. a depressing ending. Yeah, um, spoiler, uh, spoiler alert. alert. Spoiler <laughs> alert. We're going we're gonna to spoil the ending of Infinity War. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Because if you wait too long, you probably will hear spoilers about it. So what did you think about yeah. it, Abby? Um, I thought it was amazing. I, uh, you know, other than Captain America Winter Soldier, hasn't really, I haven't really been impressed with um, you know, any Marvel or DC or really anything coming out about superheroes. So I was really pleasantly surprised by this movie. Um, I thought it was genius, very entertaining, really well done. And I actually loved the ending a lot. Yeah. I love just seeing everyone die. Like you never see superheroes die and then you never see the villain win. (laughs) It's just incredible. Yeah. I I mean, it was too. There's been characteristically been a, a complaint, even from fans of Marvel movies that their villains are always bad and that they're never like fleshed out good enough in their movies. And that's, I mean, I think that's pretty true. Like most of their Marvel, most of the Marvel movies, if you think about all the villains are just there to service the plot. They're like barely interesting. Um, the Spider-Man movie had, you know, Michael Keaton was a more interesting villain, but he was just like a little bit more fleshed out But this movie was like the villain was the main character, which is pretty interesting. And, and he was complex. Yeah, he had huma- he had a bit of humanity raising yeah. his daughter and stuff. It showed his backstory. It was really interesting. I mean, I remember when I first heard they were doing like Thanos played by Josh Brolin. It's like CGI. I saw f- pictures and video of it. And I was like, this just looks like it's going to be cheesy as fuck. Like it's not going to work. It's just like another CGI character. And then it like fucking worked. Like he actually worked seemed like a real good. person. Like worked super good. Not like uh, Superman's mouth. Oh my God. Yeah. The, I mean, and it's actually really funny if you go back and watch justice league now after infinity war, it's super obvious that there must've been some kind of script leak or something to Warner brothers. Cause like the plot of the justice league, like slapdash justice league movie is like a clone of infinity war. It's like that character comes down to get all the mother boxes and then he needs to like join them all together it's just like it's almost exactly like the Infinity Gauntlet. Like, plot. except it was like haphazardly just trashed, thrown together. Yeah, like I mean, it really way. the Justice League movie was extremely tragic to me. I never talked about it on here. I'm I'm much more in DC Comics than Marvel, so to see that that's what the ju- first Justice League movie was like was a huge tragedy and insult to yeah, me. It was, um, and it's sad because this is actually the sad part that most people don't know is that. Marvel sold off most of their popular properties to different companies in the early 2000s. So Spider-Man got sold to Sony, X-Men and Fantastic Four got sold to Fox. That's why when they launched the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they only had Iron Man and like lower tier characters because Iron Man was not considered like a popular Marvel character before. Um, But Warner Brothers actually owns everything. So the sad part is they could be making movies with every DC comic character crossover you can imagine, and they've completely fucked it up. I mean, be, besides maybe Wait, the Christian- why though they don't they don't want to even branch out with the other characters. Well, they could. I mean, the Suicide just, Squad just, movie yeah. was like their attempt to do that, and it was a disaster. Yeah. It was a train wreck. 
you know, with like Jared Leader, Leto, gangster Joker with the grill that and stuff. That was insane. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it's a, it, it was a total abomination. <laughs> um, right. And it's sad because like Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, they really, you know, as much as I had some issues with them, they really elevated sort of that the superhero aesthetic and then they just ripped they just tore it all apart what you know what he built and ruined it i mean like the stuff they put out since is garbage it just seemed like justice league was thrown together in like three months or something the special effects were horrible and also that i'm sorry to go keep going back to this guy's cgi face but why do that when you i mean you know what i mean like why why ruin the movie with that um when it's not perfected or just reshoot the scene, like have the guy fucking shave his mustache. I mean, how difficult really is that? I don't know. It just really turned me off. It was, and just the special effects were abysmal. Well, yeah. And it's also weird to think that you're going to make the first justice league movie of all time. And Superman's dead. It's just like a, but it's just such a terrible way to start, you know, to launch the justice league movie. Mm -hmm. He's the, it's, it's like, that's the main character in the justice league. So just a disappointing all all around, you know. Yeah. Like I would have been fine with seeing a bat. Like I, as much as I didn't, you know, wasn't in love with Ben Affleck as Batman. It would have been. I would have wanted to see just like a Batman movie with him, and they probably won't even make one now because it's such a disaster. But the cool thing about this Marvel movie Infinity War, though, is it's the first one I've really seen that captures like the whole like superhero crossover thing, like from comic books that I liked as a kid. So it was really fun. I mean, it was just like fun as fuck to watch like Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and Iron Man all fighting, you know, together and stuff like that kind of thing was, it did make me feel like a kid again. And yeah, I understand it's like a giant corporate Disney property, but like, you know, I, I'm a pretty cynical person take, these days. Yeah, so. we gotta, yeah, we gotta take <laughs> the pleasures where we can. Yeah. <laughs> Life's Late stage pleasures. capitalism, um, as, as awful as, as it is, can offer some interesting um, products, so. Yeah, another really quick shout out that I won't get into very much, but Philip K. Dick, anyone who's a fan of Black Mirror, I think I talked about this on a podcast before, but I encourage everyone to watch this one episode from Electric Dreams. Um, I don't know. I I think it's just on demand. Um, If you have cable, you could probably find it online. It's just called Kill All Others, and it's just a really uh, genius take on a future dystopic society where there's just like one candidate um, and her ad campaign is just to kill everyone. Another really bizarre thing that happened to me was someone that I haven't heard from for about 10 years who I skateboarded with when I was 13. Um, like, this is literally how I know this person, like used to skateboard with him, haven't really kept in contact with him, like very loosely affiliated on social media or whatever, randomly texted me all these threats but randomly of him. not not yeah. totally randomly it was right after your joe rogan it was appearance. the joe after the joe rogan thing a lot of crazy shit happened the john stossel attack the stand with us came back barry weiss did that thing in the new york times and then this guy who i haven't heard from for so long just randomly texts me all of these horrific things get the get the hell out of la you snowflake your kind is not welcome here photos of him wearing this red hat that i thought was a trump hat but it wasn't flipping me off um saying i hate n-word i'm a neo-nazi uh it was really really scary because you know i'm dealing with one stalker um and now i have this other guy who's basically saying get the fuck out of la or else like old an old friend who you haven't spoken to in a long time who you has still, still has your contact information just messages you out of the blue with some like fucking maga pilled like bullshit like dumb mm-hmm. bullshit it's just like really really disturbing 
It is. This is this is what Trump what happened to the people. era. I mean, like I missed the era a little bit where like young people who are our age like just didn't get really give a shit about who the president was. You know, if you're if you're not politically engaged really and like concerned and like just don't give a shit. But it's like weird that there's like actual these like loyal frothing at the mouth like maga pilled Trump worshippers who would someone would actually message you after like ten years of no contact to make threats and get mad at you. It's that's how emboldened they are. Really, that's how really sad. They feel. I mean, yeah, it's just odd. Very odd. Well, something's been something's been activated. That's for yeah. sure. Because if you feel uh, sure of yourself enough to actually do that, like it's one thing to think that. I always mm-hmm. think this just about racists in general. It's one thing to think something. It's another thing to say something. It's another thing to say something to the person that you hate <laughs> and like actually want to take action. And and I think that the steps are just getting a little bit more fuzzy because. Trump has, has, you know, lifted that barrier for people. Like he's just given a green light for people to do all of this crazy shit with no consequences. And this guy yeah. who I'm talking about apparently thinks that um, this is okay. This is just normal behavior now. He probably sees his friends doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks it's funny. It's it's just horrifying to me because, you know, this guy, I just wanted to text him back and be like, wow, remember when we skateboarded together? I mean, is this really where you're at now, man? It kind of reminds me of of the post 9-11 era in the sense that like that was the first big explosion I really remember of like reptile brain, like frothing at the mouth, like we got to go get the terrorists, you know, love it or leave it like type of mentality. But you're right that it was never young people doing that. Yeah, well, there was some there was some young people. I mean, like, I mean, you you dated a guy who ended up serving in in the in Iraq who turned into a kind of one of those psychopaths and he was pretty young and impressionable, but he was not the majority, you know, we, we, we grew up in the suburbs of Bay area. So he wasn't like the majority of people out here, but right. Yeah. I mean, Trump definitely did something similar to what the neocons did, but like against the left instead of just like Muslims and people overseas, that's a, that's a really interesting thing. So, I, I, and I and I just can't stress enough. It's, it's like it really does annoy me how a lot of people on the left and a lot of people who ha- and I understand why they hate the Democrats so much because I do too. But they're still using it as an excuse to knee jerk in terms of like not like being soft on Trump. Frankly, too soft on Trump. I, and it's like I'm sick of this idea that whatever the resistance says, you automatically have to like oppose. It's like some of the things they've said like about Trump being authoritarian, are tr- blatantly true. I mean, that's true. He acts like he is an authoritarian and wants to strip certain constitutional rights. He said it openly. So it bothers me that people just ignore that kind of stuff or be like, ha ha. The amount of sheer legislation he's overturned with executive orders is like extremely authoritarian. There's no other way to slice it. I mean, he's, he's uh, other than his mannerisms, of course, like echoing Mussolini type authoritarian behavior. I mean, just the, his actions. Or scowling in his official presidential yeah. photo. <laughs> I mean, we're, and we'll talk later about the whatever legal strategy he thinks he's doing right now with Rudy Giuliani um, and how there's some just bizarre, you know, there's a bizarre character to that that seems authoritarian and frankly confusing how it's a legal strategy. But I got into it. It's just another, you know, example of this, just how rabid and weird things are in the political dialogue right now is I got into an argument with a Media Roots fan um, who claims that calling Jack Posobiec and Cernovich alt-right is offensive 
since the alt-right hate those guys. And what's interesting is, I'm wondering, what is the actual real difference between the post-Nazi salute Spencer alt-right and the previous iteration? And the only difference I can see is that people like Cernovich and Posobiec called themselves alt-right before it became blatantly associated with neo-Nazism in the general public's mind. I mean, that's that's when they jumped ship. As soon as that Nazi salute, just like what Kyle Kalinske was saying in our last interview, that that marked a turning point where they no longer wanted to call themselves that because they didn't want to be associated with that, even though they were, they were calling themselves that before. So this person was getting angry with me because they were saying it was a smear. And I was like, well, what's the, how would you describe them then? You know, and I guess new right is the way these people describe themselves. Um, but from what I can tell, Abby, the only real difference is that the David Dukes and the Richard Spencers apparently are actually anti, like openly anti-Semitic, whereas the Cernoviches and the Posobiacs are actually like not anti-Semitic. They're actually like very Zionist. So that's really the only difference. Um, but apparently. but let's 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 distinguish the anti-Semitism and Zionism thing because of course, yeah, because I mean, because Richard Spencer is also Zionist though he he loves the ethno state, the white supremacist state of Israel. He's said that's openly true. that that's the that's what he desires. Yeah, and why shouldn't we have something like that? But yeah, you're he, he right admires, about being he admires yeah. the idea of it because it's an ethno supremacist state. Right. Um, and, but he, but him and Dave, David Duke are openly anti-Semitic as well. So that's, I guess right. that's really the only thing that differentiates them. I mean, I mean, I think even, I think David Duke is actually more anti-Zion, like anti-Israel. So that maybe, you know, maybe there's even some differences between them, but, um, it's really interesting that people are still butthurt or still holding on to this idea that Posobiec and Cernovich, I mean, it's just actually shocking to me that someone would be listening to this show right now. And still be checking out the work of Jack Posobiec and Cernovich. I mean, I frankly do, cannot under compute that. I, I can't wrap my head around it. If you've been listening to our podcast, it's mind blowing. Yeah, and I, and uh, Richard Spencer, I think retweeted something that I said about Israel, and I was like, oh my god! And so every time I see like Nazis following me or um, retweeting me, I'll immediately block and unblock them so I can get rid of the follow. And I encourage everyone to do that. Someone, of course, a liberal or whatever, one of these resistance people was like, um, I'm not going to say horseshoe theory, but dot, dot, dot. And I was like, wait, so criticism of Israel being retreated by a Nazi means that I'm a Nazi. Cool. Uh, good logic there. Really interesting. So it's just it just keeps going round and round, you know, and, and just the whole premise. I just want to get this out of the way. Hanging out with Jill Stein and 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 seeing people on a daily basis still disparage her and say that she's a Russian plant and all this stuff and that she cost the election who in their right mind voting for Jill Stein would have voted for Hillary. These people would not have voted for Hillary. Do people understand that? But they just keep, keep berating it that Jill Stein cost cost Hillary. Yeah. And they keep, you know, all the voter discrepancy with the, how many votes Jill Stein got. Oh, but look, Hillary only lost by this many. It's like, dude, none of these people would have voted for her. That's the point. Yeah, and did you see what Bill Clinton said in his interview about her? That he doesn't apologize to Monica. <laughs> well, that that Lewinsky? was insane. I Fucking do not insane. apologize to Monica. Lewinsky. And that's another example of like the neoliberals just totally falling on their own sword trying to defend bill clinton it's fucking crazy what the type of yeah, shit in the meat in the height of the me too movement to actually defend bill clinton yeah at the instance? very least say admit that it was sexual harassment right. and move on right and admit that bill clinton looked really bad in that interview 
The fact yeah. that they won't even admit, admit or acknowledge that just shows how disingenuous they are. You can no, argue all Trump, day about uh, coercion no. or nope. if this is actual. Anything that, makes, anything that makes Bill Clinton look bad. It's fucking nuts, Abby. Yeah, and, and speaking of Me Too, Anthony Bourdain killed himself, 61 years old. I just have the utmost respect for him for two reasons. One, doing his show, um, and I know that he obviously didn't choose to do this in Beirut when Israel started bombing Lebanon, but he just was there when it happened, and so he he really was able to kind of retell this destruction from his own viewpoint, being trapped in Beirut and seeing the entire city obliterated by IDF forces, and that was really eye-opening for me because I, I didn't really understand the complexities of the situation back when that episode aired. And another thing that he did that is very rare for any mainstream media host, and honestly, as a celebrity chef, we shouldn't really expect much, but he did honestly do more than pretty much most mainstream media pundits in terms of Palestine because he went there, he did a whole show, he went into Gaza, he talked about the culture, the cuisine, the the generosity, the the gratitude and he really humanized Palestinians in a way that no one else really did at that time on mainstream media and I think that alone really says a lot and when the Bakker boys were massacred on the beach in Gaza in 2014 during the bloodletting where 500 children were brutally butchered by Israel he tweeted that photo and he just said this is I have no words I mean it was just the photo of that kid dead on the beach and and you know it's just really sad yeah it's really really sad i mean it's all you know i'm always wondering why someone sort of at the peak of their career or you know it seems like he's more well respected and more famous than he's ever been would would take his own life at this point who knows what was actually going on with him did you see his show though like when he did the reboot on cnn it seemed like he was totally checked out like i i because i watched it with mike because i do oh like, yeah i mean a lot of the stuff he was like phoning it in well hardcore. i i that's when i actually started to have a a problem with him man because i i mean i liked his you know his traveling cooking show like when it was on um food network or something but I noticed as soon as he went to CNN, there seemed to be a Fareed Zakaria vice uh, style imprint on it where, I mean, some of the things he would say about Libya, Syria, Venezuela, I mean, he, even on Twitter, I mean, he hated Hugo Chavez. Like a lot of his politics, I, I very strongly disagreed with. And I didn't, I didn't understand why he chose to do that CNN show. It did seem like it sort of filtered him more, you know, it wasn't as powerful as, as his previous did, show I, again I mean, it's I don't cnn how expect, could it be? it's fucking cnn i know but i don't think that we should expect too much again he is just a celebrity chef but the whole show did seem like he wasn't happy is what i was saying it seemed like he was just um drinking himself into a stupor he would just be like on drugs all the time and like openly and just totally, again, phoning it in and not really putting the effort into it. So I knew that something was off. And I just thought he just wasn't taking it seriously because he was like just doing it for a paycheck. Yeah. But um, I didn't watch it because of that. Um, so it's just, you know, now that I look back on it, I guess there was there was some things that, that should have been signs. But, you know, again, he was at the height of his life. He just, uh, going back to the Me Too thing, why I even brought that up is because he was helping gain traction. He was dating one of the actresses that was raped by Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. That's who his girlfriend was when he passed. So that, this is one of the women who, with Rose McGowan, has been very vocal 
um, outspoken and he hosted a dinner for all the victims and and he didn't make it about him, obviously, you know, like a lot of guys do. <laughs> like like um, Morgan Spurlock, that guy who did Super Size Me, came out. Remember him? He came out and he was like, I'm going to come out here and say that, yes, I've like um, I've done really horrible shit to women and like women might come out and accuse me of rape. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, it was just really weird. It seemed like a weird publicity stunt on that part. But but Anthony Bourdain, on the other hand, never made it about him being some hero or or you know, white knight. Yeah. So I appreciated that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he really did help propel the me too movement and, um, what his, uh, wife did was very heroic. And I mean, and, and frankly, I mean, it really does show how the film industry has a really long way to go on this issue. Still Hollywood can act like they've all cleaned up and that they're all ready to, you know, never again or whatever they did at the Oscars, that pin that they wore or whatever, which frankly came, came off as very phony to me. And then Cannes Film Festival, nobody actually showed her any support when she made that statement saying that Harvey Weinstein raped me here. Wow. The only person that approached her and thanked her for talking was Spike Lee at the Cannes wow. Film Festival. Everybody wow. else fucking gave her the cold shoulder. That's really, that and really that shows really that the film industry at large globally has a lot of catching up to do with like modern, you know, standards of like how to treat people respectfully and consent. I mean, Roman Polanski is still deified. You know, Woody oh Allen too. I mean, th- th- oh, these yeah. are very problematic figures who, you know, eventually, hopefully they'll be seen in the lens of history as like monsters. Well, this morning when I woke up and saw, you know, first it was Kate Spade, that famous designer, and then Anthony Bourdain takes his own life. And then I saw Kevin Spacey trending and I was like, oh my God, for a a split second, I was like, did Kevin Spacey kill himself too? (laughs) It was just like, you know that that would never happen. People like him and Harvey Weinstein will never, never do that. What was he trending (laughs) for? I didn't even notice. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it was a dream because then I looked again, I didn't even (laughs) see anything. (laughs) But for a split second, I was like, oh shit. Um, but man, I wonder what's going to happen to him. Like, where even is he, you know? Well, he's probably definitely hiding out. I mean, he's probably lying very low. Um, and I I still think that the proportionality of, of penalties for him versus everyone else is bizarre. Um, it seemed like it was just the, the hammer went down a lot harder on Kevin Spacey than it did almost any, anyone else. I think, you know why I think it was because that one actor who's established himself as an, when he's, you know, grown of age, told that story about how he was molested when he was, or he, the Kevin Spacey attempted to have Richard sex with him when he was 14. Oh, no, that guy. Yeah. That yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. and then Richard Dreyfuss, son, I think that really took it over the edge. The fact that they had so many witnesses. And I also think that part of the reason was is because like a lot of people were looking the other way for a long time. Like the House of Cards people must have known he was taking his dick out and showing to people like on set and stuff. I, I think it was one of the situations where he had so much power and that was the only reason why he didn't go down. And like as soon as it all the dam broke, it was like, okay, now we can throw that in the hammer. Let's do it. Let's do it. Like they needed an excuse to throw it down. There's something about the Weinstein thing that makes me think he he wouldn't have let himself be arrested like that if he thought that he would actually go to jail. And I think that there has to be something behind that. Because why wouldn't he have just fled like Polanski to Europe or something? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know why Weinstein, seeing him in handcuffs was very surreal. I, yeah, I, I really, I'm wondering about that too. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein, I don't think he fled. 
And it seemed too easy. It was like Weinstein's getting arrested. Well, I I, I agree with you. There's you know what's going to happen, Abby? Probably is it's going to be like right. an an Epstein style um, slap on the wrist. Right. Is something like that's going to happen? Yeah. And then he's going to try to rehabilitate himself. I mean, I don't know. Maybe his ego's giant enough to do that. But yeah, Weinstein's one of the most powerful figures to go down for a crime like this in a long time. Right. By the time Bill Cosby, you know, went to his jury trial, like people had already all abandoned support for him. So this is different, though, where there's probably a lot of powerful people still who owe him favors. I think you're right. There's something to that. And, And unfortunately, we might see him get out of jail very soon. Um, really quickly, just the Kate Spade thing, not that I liked her designs or anything, but it was really interesting to hear, um, her sister came forward and was like, yeah, Kate has been mentally ill for years, but she never wanted to get treatment because she didn't want it to hurt the brand. Oh my God. That's so sad. And I was just like, Jesus, like what, this is, this is the reality that we're living in. Like you can be a multimillionaire, but you're like too scared how it's going to hurt your consumer base. It's so strange because going to therapy to, at least in my world, like my 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 awareness of it, it's like not a really a taboo thing anymore. Right, like in society, so that is sad that someone like her would. I'm assuming she was like a like she lived in New York, like she didn't yeah. live in like Middle America. So it's sad that someone like her would think that that would hurt the brand. It probably wouldn't have, right. even though it traditionally mentally ill women are looked down upon more than like mentally ill men. I mean, we were, I was talking about Margot Kidder on the last solo podcast about how her her mental health crisis sort of ruined her career and really set it back. And you know, but I feel like times have changed now. It's not it's not like that anymore. Look at Anne Heche, for example. She's got a thriving career now, and she, you know, um, she kind of like had some really severe mental health problems for a while. So. That is very sad to think that... Um, um, since 1999, suicide rates have increased 24% overall. Just really shocking. And this is just something that no one talks about because because we are in an insulated society, capitalism, and just the neoliberal doctrine makes you feel like you're alone, like you're pathetic. Um, and if you haven't made it, it's your own fault. If you're suffering, don't, you know, you're alone, you have no friends. Um, it's It's just all about your failures as a human being. And we are, you know, the sense of community doesn't exist here. It's just a lot of, a lot, a lot of toxicity that um, I think does not help the situation. No, and it's, and it's also mental health is a serious problem in this country. And it's, unfortunately, it's only really mental health care is only usually reserved for the privileged or, you know, people who make more money than like a low income wage because health insurance even most health insurance you get through like even halfway decent employment doesn't provide decent mental health care coverage. I mean, Kaiser only provides crisis-based health care. I mean, sorry, mental health care. So if you have like a death in the family, they'll give you like a few months of, you know, a psychiatric consultation, but that's it. If you're mentally ill, you have pretty much, you have to pay out of pocket. I mean, there's very little health insurance out there that'll actually provide for you you know if you have ptsd or something like that so it's very it's very unfortunate britain and the uk they have a special hotline aside from their whatever 911 equivalent is to just mental ill um cases so if someone's you know acting erratic or they're clearly mentally ill you call this hotline and you know just stop oh fucking armed military guards are not going to show up and kill the person 
So it's just a way better system for many reasons. Um, and then that brings us to Chelsea Manning, who it was stunning and horrifying. I, you know, I saw that she was trending and, and Anya texted me and she was like, did you see what Chelsea said? And I just thought that she was saying, you know, she just said like, I, you know, just said something. I didn't realize that she tweeted a photo of herself standing on the ledge of a building and said, I'm sorry. And I was just like, oh my fucking God. Um, and then to see what the cops did, they go for a quote wellness check and just literally just um, Jimmy opened the door. They just broke into her home <laughs> with guns drawn. So luckily she wasn't home because if she was, who knows what would have happened because we know what happens when cops do that. My friend Apollo that I went to college with, his brother was executed by police because he was mentally ill. He was holding like a vape pen and the police came and killed him in San Diego a couple months ago. So this is happening every day and it's just stunning to see actually the security footage of what these cops do when someone calls them and says someone is suicidal. I hope she's really, okay. Really it's just really, really tragic. I mean, I guess, you know, it's all about officer safety these days though. So it's, you know, it's this systematic orthodoxy where it's like, well, anyone who's calling in, you know, who has mental health problems or, you know, we think is suicidal could have a gun. They could have a weapon. So we need to go in with guns. You almost can't even blame the cops themselves. That's the shitty part. It's like top down. This is what they teach police to do these days. And it's really, really dangerous. I mean, even just the fact that you can SWAT someone still, like that, that that's still possible is like nuts. Or the, the no-knock raids where they just like invade homes in the well, middle of the night. Well, um, not just no-knock raids, but where someone, you're angry at someone for losing, you lose a game of um, Call of Duty online and you call a SWAT team on someone. You call from a Skype, anonymous Skype phone number, 911 in that person's hometown and, and give them their address and say, I just shot my wife. I don't know what to do. Please come get me. And they'll, the SWAT team will come to that person's door and break down the fucking door with their guns drawn. Wow. That's wow. You, you heard about that guy who got murdered from a, losing a video game match a few months ago, right? No. And the that. craziest part, Abby, the SWAT team went to not even the house that the guy tried to set up for the SWATing, that the neighbor's house got broken oh into and someone died. my God. And guess what? David Hogg, um, the you know survivor oh of the Parkland shooting... Got swatted a few days ago. No, he got swatted, and he, you know, luckily no one got hurt, but someone sent a SWAT team to his house. Oh my god! Yeah, this is the era we're living in. Is these alt right oh. motherfuckers? They have no morals, no ethics. They will do some really dirty tricks to fuck you up. And I really do think oh. people on the left really need to take this seriously. And, and I'm not just saying that you should probably be armed. I mean, just in general, like, do not underestimate how fucking evil these people can be. They, you have to remember oh, they like are state-worshipping, police-worshipping, president-bootlicking, like, people all over the country, more rabid than before. We are living yeah, in a like dangerous atmosphere. They're calling for blood, dude. And like, what about that woman who got finally, not even doxxed, I mean, whatever her name got revealed, because she had been doxing people for months on that website that that red pilled maga are you talking about the one that that president retweeted the islamophobe one yeah 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 and she had a website that she would basically say anyone who you see going into a mosque whether it be your postman put their name on this website so we can know who's like a secret muslim brotherhood yeah and she was an anonymous twitter poster who's who's all upset now because she got doxxed 
It's like, I'm sorry. You're literally putting out, you're trying to egg on people to do violent things towards Muslims. You get fucking docs. Sorry. Yeah, and, and, and everyone you're was like, oh exposed. my God. And all the people, all the MAGA chuds and all the right wingers and all like, all these people are defending her being like, this is, this is horrible. What, what Huffington Post is doing to her. Like this is, this is the danger of being a conservative in this country. This is what happens to you. No, it's the danger of being a fascist and trying to be a fascist anonymously. You can't do that shit anymore, dude. If you're trying to out Muslim people and trying to paint Muslims walking into mosques as terrorists, you're going to get exposed. That's what's going to happen. And you got to deal with that shit. Okay. You can't act like that and expect to be like continue anonymously. So I feel extremely strongly about this. I have more hatred and vitriol towards people who are bigoted towards Muslims um, than almost anybody else in this country. But people who actually go that far to try to like dox or paint Muslims walking into mosques as terrorists, they need to go fucking down. And I'm really glad that that woman got exposed. Me too. Me too, but don't worry, she'll get she'll get grifted on Patreon. I'm sure she's getting funded like fifty grand a month, so no worries about her. Yeah, maybe she'll get some of that Owen Benjamin um David Hogg pubic hair song money. Yeah. Just jump on Owen Benjamin that got train. what, like three grand instantly after saying he's writing songs about David Hogg's pubes and then he got kicked yeah. off Twitter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now he's now dude, guess how much Jordan Peterson makes a month? Um as much as Chapo? Or less? Oh, he makes no, more he, than $90,000 a month on Patreon. Let me actually look this up. I just read this excellent article about Jordan Peterson from a former colleague at the University of Toronto that brought him in initially. Uh-huh. So he and, he and Jordan Peterson and his whole family lived with this guy for like a year. Um, and he just he just basically tracks his entire evolution from from 20 years ago till today and explains why he's extremely dangerous. And he cannot be underestimated with like his... Um, just his vision of, of what he's putting out in the world. It's really, it's the most well done. I'll find the article and I'll put it on SoundCloud. But yeah, please. I, in I didn't that, see that. In that article, it talks about how much money he's making and it's, it's, it's up there. It's up there. Um, Cause he does, you know, he, he grifts to the point where he's doing like private sessions um, where his fans will pay him an exorbitant amount of money to, to do a Skype session. And uh, you know, these incel people and stuff will, and he'll, and he'll do those. And then he'll sell the tickets for his conferences are like 500 bucks a pop. Um, and it really is a, a cult esque fan base where, you know, he's like a evangelical leader. I mean, these people are like crying in the audience. I mean, this guy basically just describes some of these events that he went to and, and how the audience receives Jordan. It's very interesting. Um, but an- another news, Charles Krothheimer, that guy who uh, he was paralyzed, right? He was paralyzed from the neck down. Yeah. Right. So he just announced that he has two weeks left to live. This is a guy who I, you know, he's been a staple on Fox News for as long as I can remember. I don't know much else about him other than that. He's a Fox News correspondent who has been a dangerous neocon warmonger for years and years. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't really... Well, Again, his, like when like when John McCain dies, like I'm going to go out there and say, don't forget what a piece of shit this person was and all the horrible things they did. When Kissinger dies, I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine, smoke a joint and remind myself what a piece of shit he was and how many millions of people <laughs> he helped kill. So I don't understand this whole like, don't talk bad about people who are horrible people when they either die or are dying. Is that bad? 
No, I mean, I think that monsters need to be called out for what they are in life and death. I mean, and, and near death. I mean, so that's, I mean, that's, I stand firmly in that position. And, um, you know, people m- mostly know of him for being a Fox News correspondent, but he's also um, was um, was involved in policymaking um, for war. Um, I mean, he was actually part of the Bush administration. Um, he was on the bioethics committee. Uh, that he did sign a few PNAC letters at the very least, and he's also very good friends with Don Kagan. Um, so it's um, it's not surprising at all. Well, what is he dying from? I didn't read the letter. He has cancer. Crowdhammers um, said that the reason he hasn't been on TV very much in the last year is because he had cancer. He thought he um, got rid of it, and then it came back aggressively, and doctors tell him he has weeks to live. This guy is, uh, he's pretty evil. So I, I don't really feel bad for him. Um, so that's, I guess that's where, that, that's all yeah, I really have I mean, to say that's really it. where, that's really <laughs> where it ends. Um, uh, the other bizarre, I, I love how we keep saying the word bizarre. I listened to your, the, our last podcast and we said it so many times, but it's, it, there's really no other way to describe this story. That journalist who faked his own death. Now this is, <laughs> mind you, this is going on the heels of, Putin kills journalists, you know, every time that someone dies, whether it be Nemstov, that guy who got shot in, in front of the Kremlin, I mean, everyone who dies that's somehow loosely associated with Russia is, is quote unquote, Putin's opposition or, you know, the biggest critic or um, top journalist, critical of Putin. You know, you hear all these things time and again, and then it turns out that it's really not the case in the terms of Nemstov. He really wasn't a political opponent, at least for 20 years. Um, you know what I mean? Since when he died. And this guy, so this guy dies, um, shot, found by his wife in the front of his house, uh, shot, executed. <clears throat> and so, of course, all, you know, all the news has a field day for an entire day talking about how Russia basically killed another journalist, really just coming out there and accusing Russia of killing this guy. Like no investigation, no qualms at all about, um, you know, about making sure that that was true. They just printed it like they always do with um, no skepticism whatsoever. No skepticism needed at all when it comes to Russia killing journalists. Um, so it was really amazing the next day to see this guy come out at his own, the own pre- press conference about his own death to come out in like a, like a sports uh, sweatshirt, like looking like he was a <laughs> Margarita, the woman who runs RT said, the face that he had when he came out for the press conference looks like her cat who's caught shitting on the floor. <laughs> like he just had like this smirk and he's just like shuffling around with the smirk. And then he basically apologizes to everyone, including his wife. And he was like, I'm sorry, there was just no other way to do this to catch my assassins. How the fuck did anyone explain to anyone how that actually was supposed to catch quote unquote, his assassins by staging his death for one day? It's so, I mean, it's so, so ridiculous. And um, all these think tanks and stuff are mad that kind of mad at the fact that he did, they did the Ukrainian government and then he did this so sloppily because now they feel like Russia won the propaganda war this time. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, actually Russia didn't do shit. Uh, This guy (laughs) literally was a crisis actor. (laughs) You want to talk about Alex Jones style, like Sandy Hook hoax, like fucking conspiracy kookery? This motherfucker faked his own death and like did fake blood on the ground and shit. There's a picture of him dead, fake dead. Um, so yeah, it's pretty funny that 
that anybody could still take the Ukrainian government seriously after this. And the guy also uh, is now charging $50,000 per interview. Just like uh, Yulia Skripal mysteriously refused to be interviewed by anyone in the press, except for that bizarre, I don't know if you watched this, Abby, but there's a bizarre (laughs) Reuters video of her after she got out of the hospital, like walking from a distance up to the camera and then like making a statement and then walking away. And it was like a Reuters exclusive. It was very. It seemed like a very bizarre, like propaganda insert. Well, she Reuters wire super story. Super fucking good. Um, and it's obvious with that weird video. And someone from the Independent actually outlined a bunch of unanswered questions about the Skripal thing after that video came out. But one of the biggest ones is that she didn't actually say the poison because, I, I, because again, how could it be possible that they were poisoned with? Novichok if if they both survive six times more potent than sarin gas apparently which kills yeah you and instantly. so she so she specifically did not say the poison she omitted like really blaming russia it was just very vague and bizarre it was and, obviously scripted yeah and what's even funnier is a lot of people were like hey there's a hole in the story because here she's talking to her cousin about why she wants to go back to russia that so that kind of means that She's not a, she doesn't, must not think Russia killed her, but I think part of her written statement sort of tried to like, like, uh, gloss that over and be like, like, uh, yeah, like Russia tried to kill me, but like, I still want to go back. (laughs) Like, I like actually like addressed (laughs) the, the people trying to poke holes in it and it like still didn't make sense. I was like, wait, what? So you acknowledge Russia was trying to do this, but you still want to go back to Russia? But they killed the cat. Well, I know that they neglected to like take care of many of their pets (laughs) and shit. Yeah, the whole that whole thing is very very interesting and we can talk all day long about how there's more evidence to suggest that the Russian separatists may have shot down the, you know, the Malaysian Airlines flight and that there was like a, a disinformation war on both sides happening. But this is like the most like bungled weird staged thing I've ever seen in a while. I mean, there's like the there's no real evidence when you look closely at it. I mean, you you outlined this with Tom in in uh, from clandestine in Media Roots Radio, but but still, I mean, just all of these unanswered questions about it. Like, is it is it the UK government covering up the fact that they rushed and blamed Russia, or is there something else going on here? Like, were were they there to carry out some sort of operation, and someone got them first? I mean, what the hell really happened here? And and unfortunately, we're never going to know because they're never going to follow up on the story. She's no, just going to disappear. Mean, and I mean, it's it's bizarre because it does seem like they got drugged. I mean, th- something happened right. to them. No, probably. something happened. She had a trachea. I mean, she had a giant scar in her neck. Like, obviously something happened. Oh, wow. I see. That was something I completely missed. Oh, yeah. No, she has a hole like in her neck. Oh, fascinating. You can see okay, it. Yeah. Well, so something happened, obviously. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. I mean, that that whole thing it really needs to be examined more deeply. And just and we and we were planning on talking about this later, but let's just mention it really quickly now. Sure. Is Craig Go Murray, one of the main people debunking the Screepall incident and trying to like poke holes in it and show all the contradictions, um, has exposed what appears to be a coordinated propaganda campaign to edit wikipedia pages of controversial left or figures in the media who poke holes in official western narratives and what i mean is craig murray and george galloway have been pointing the finger at this mysterious wikipedia editor named philip cross who when you actually check his schedule of editing and how frequently he edits it appears that this character philip cross literally does it as a full-time job 
editing and slightly making adjustments to controversial figures Wikipedia pages to make them seem like they're either Russian plants, propagandists. He's even edited your Wikipedia page, Abby. <laughs> um, it's very interesting. Honored. And, and Jimmy Wales of Wikipedia and other people have actually addressed this controversy and said this is a conspiracy theory. Wikipedia is infallible. It's a community-based editing system. No, you know, nobody can control the narrative because you can just edit it back to what you want to say. No, that's totally not true. It's we not, know, we it's know how not Wikipedia true. works. There is a hierarchy on Wikipedia. Right. I have it's experienced it myself yeah. where people, these seasoned editors have developed this cred for some reason. The more you edit, the more credibility you have. So it was actually a problem because if someone is paid to edit Wikipedia full time, they automatically get more credibility in the community, even if you know you won't know if they're being paid or not. But because of their frequency of editing, gives them more credibility. So that's a bizarre system. It's like the more frequently you edit, the more credibility you have as a Wikipedia editor. And there's no way to tell if you're actually being paid or instructed by a government to edit this Wikipedia. The only way you can tell is by the IP address, which can be easily spoofed these days. Um, so it's very interesting how people, so many people trust Wikipedia. I frankly not trusted it since the very beginning when I saw people in the editing discussions arguing about stuff like the George W. Bush administration and, and trying to defend him and how he lied about Iraq's WMDs and stuff like that. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a total disaster because imagine the amount of forces and money behind the people trying to promote the Iraq war being sent to wikipedia to edit it in favor of the iraq war like yeah and also israel's no hasbara operation how many oh my you know, God. thousands of people yeah. are working full-time to do that wikipedia is a fucking disaster it's basically become the modern version of the ministry of truth from 1984 i mean except it's actually creepier because anyone can anonymously edit it just whoever has the most time and dedication wins really wait if, didn't you say the guy was trying to take my wikipedia page down Yes, absolutely he was. Wow. So Philip Cross was actually trying to mark your page for deletion and fold it into the main RT page. wonder why he would want to do that. He claimed it was because you weren't notable enough. That's what a lot of these um, Wikipedia propagandists do, is they use the Wikipedia rules, which are very strict, and they use them against controversial figures. They try to stretch and bend the rules to use them against controversial figures. And which is more fucked up about that is they only basically take and allow corporate media citations and sources in order to bolster the profiles and credibility of the people that they're highlighting on the Oh, yeah, site. they don't even... I think they actually announced that they're going to stop letting you use, um, like, Russian sources and shit. Like, it's like they change the rules slightly. Like, um, So, yeah, th that's true. I mean, there's so many problems with it that I, am frankly, am very um, weirded out by people who are intellectual who think it's like sort of an infallible system and really makes me think they just are not thinking and looking at the whole picture here. Oh, it's no, almost they, like they Elon Musk's idea saying, oh, I'm going to open up a site to rate media credibility based on like majority opinion. It's like, yeah, because Reddit works idiot? really well, dude. Yeah, Look like, at Reddit. Can, looks are you a fucking dumbass? Can you imagine what any Trump or any story making Trump look bad will be rated on there? And, and, and like you said, corporations and governments have count. I mean, just click farms. They have pool. click farms, man. A you can hire a click money. farm in Unlimited. India. You can hire a click farm in India yeah. to boost like your SoundCloud song right yeah, now if exactly. you wanted to. I mean, that's just exactly. something a normal person Look would like. Look at what they did to the net neutrality debate, the FCC. They, they like hired a bots or something to basically fill up the millions of comments 
that were pro um, Comcast. Elon Musk is a complete dumbass, unfortunately. Well, it's yeah, it's really, really interesting too. how many people worship him and how many people were like crying during that SpaceX launch. I remember when I saw that, I was just I was honestly horrified. I was like, this is like some Tony Stark, the fountainhead level bullshit happening right now. Like this is late stage capitalism in a very disturbing place in my opinion. Well, you don't think it's cool that there's just like a car with a dude in it just flying around space and just adding (laughs) to the garbage outside of our atmosphere. It's really cool, dude. Really bizarre. And it's actually really interesting too how the left, a lot of these like neoliberal hipsters like loved or they didn't even like care about Elon Musk until he started dating Grimes because they all apparently like Grimes. So now they're like mad at Elon Musk all of a sudden. It's like, (laughs) I mean... I'm not saying it's out of jealousy, but it is kind of funny how the, just a small thing like that will flip everybody. You know, it's like kind of like a mini version of Kanye going towards Trump and wearing the MAGA hat. Well, hopefully Grimes, since she said she was a staunch anti-imperialist, will uh, maybe be a good influence on Elon. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Really quick uh, shout out to Empire Files um, for our Columbia episode. We put up a Columbia episode. The presidential elections happened. It's going to a runoff between a moderate, um, a little bit left of center guy. Um, that's not fair. I mean, he, he's, he's a leftist, but not like a really, really far left. Um, and then there's um, the far right, um, the guy who basically will completely dismantle the peace deal with the FARC. So his party, the Uribe party, I interviewed a congressman from that party. His name's Edward Rodriguez. And I just confront him about that party's ties to paramilitaries and death squads and, and ask him, you know, it was just really interesting. I mean, he, he definitely is just like full of PR and talking points, but it was, it was a, an amazing opportunity to sit in the parliament building in Colombia and actually confront a congressman, which I would never be able to do here in America. You know, no questions were vetted. Um, I was able to just talk to him about all this stuff. So check that out. It, it gives you a lot of insight on just what's going on in Colombia, and, and the stakes are really, really high. Um, I think the next election is in 10 days, if I'm not mistaken, or I think it's on the 16th of June, but um, it's going to be really bad if if this right wing guy wins, which he's set to win because um, a lot more people are going to die. I mean, we're talking about right now where every three days a social leader is executed in that country. Um, so the peace deal is the only hope right now. Um, and it's just it's not looking good. Um, on the other hand, its neighboring country, Venezuela, just had a presidential election, which we talked at length about in our previous podcast. John Oliver did a, a giant segment about it. I think I mentioned it before. Everyone told me about it. Um, everyone was confused by it. I, I had never heard anyone reference something more than the John Oliver piece in terms of Venezuela coverage, other than, you know, like other than the vice thing, I think a couple of years ago. So Mike... Mention before you go into that, just really quickly, that Assad thing that he did. Oh, that yeah. was like seemed like straight out of like 2003, almost like a bizarro version of The Daily Show. I mean, that yeah. it was like a, I mean, at least Jon Stewart would have never done anything like that, you know? I mean, that's. Yeah. So, John Oliver, we, I'm sure anyone who listens to the show heard the last one where we were saying, you know, he's, he's, he painted himself as like, kind of left, you know, and, and came right out of the gate, criticizing the U S government, criticizing the police. He did the civil asset forfeiture stuff. He was criticizing Nestle. He went after the net neutrality thing, like a lot of good stuff. Unfortunately, he can't hide his neoliberal shell. You know, certain things just gave it away and he's just gotten worse and worse where during the run up to the election, he just shit on third parties, 
um, trashed Jill Stein over and over again. Um, and then when it comes to foreign policy, he just kind of echoes the line of vice where it's just protecting the U.S. empire, this ethnocentric lens where he's very proud to be an American. Um, you can tell. And he just thinks that we're just the fucking best. So if there's an empire, it should be us. Um, but but this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen is two years ago. Was it Millie Vanilli? No, it's right said Fred, the I'm too sexy guy. Right said guys. Fred. Yeah, yeah. So the I'm too sexy, <laughs> Millie Vanilli. So the I'm too sexy guys, he found out that Assad listened to them or downloaded a song from them on iTunes. So what did he do? Well, he decided to dedicate his show to bringing that band on and, and making a whole song mocking Assad. But that wasn't it. So other than that, he comes out on stage with a sign saying Assad is a dick. And John Oliver's just walking around with a sign saying Assad's a dick while these guys are singing about Assad. Yeah, which um, would just imagine surreal. You know, going back to like 2003 with Saddam, you know what that would have looked like. It just sort of looked so strange, you know. Like anyone who was like even plugged in at all into the Bush era would have been like, oh my god, I can't watch this show anymore. This is fucking crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but yeah. now it's just like people are just like, oh, yeah, John Oliver, he's awesome. Like, did you watch last week tonight? I mean, people were really p- pushing that show early on when it was more left. And I think people, you know, th- they they just haven't been pushing it as much because it's not resonating with them as much anymore. But they also aren't criticizing it. Right. And that's why this Venezuela thing, I was shocked that the only people that really criticized it were, were right wingers saying, oh, you're, you're not going to blame socialism for Venezuela. Oh, you. And then there was just all these dumb ass right wing takedowns from Steven Crowder and um, and Fox News about why John Oliver got it wrong because he didn't blame socialism. No, unfortunately, John Oliver got the Venezuela episode wrong because he fucking lied through his teeth on nearly every single point. To the extent that it, I, I actually think that something else was at play here, and I, and I don't do not say that lightly because he has a team of God knows how many writers, probably fifty people on his team. You cannot research those stories and and not understand a little bit more than what the the actual headlines say, um, and the fact that he even chose to dedicate the entire show. I don't know how many shows he's done just on one subject. But for the run-up of the Venezuela election, while the Trump administration is literally putting out threats of military coups and regime change all over the place, Marco Rubio, Nikki Haley, Trump, Pompeo, Tillerson, and then you have Washington Post foreign policy literally putting out it's time for a coup. And then you decide as this quote unquote progressive minded host with millions of people as a captive audience who are quote liberals or progressive minded people to to dedicate your entire episode about the elections in Venezuela and basically what a sinister dictator Maduro is, who, you know, again, the starving nation, he's a dictator, all the people who are dying in the streets, the protesters are holding back. Um, all of these things were just so egregiously, um, offensively wrong, you know? And so Mike, thankfully, after like three weeks of no one doing anything about this and we, and we were really busy, but Mike just said, I can't. I can't deal with this anymore. I mean, we watched it and we were so offended as people who have been there ourselves. Um, he just went through and, and debunked the most exhaustive, absolute demolition I've ever seen, frankly, I think of anything related to Venezuela. Because the, the part that was so magical about it is, yeah, even though we have all these segments about Venezuela, it's very hard to go through and watch 
all of the documentaries and each one kind of covers a different aspect. But this was just really easy because John Oliver himself laid out all the tired arguments himself in a perfect lineage. And so Mike just went through and just deconstructed all of them in such an airtight fashion that um, it was just it was just gold. One of the most egregious things that he did was cite a study called Transparency International that is literally funded by oil and defense contractors and the U.S. government. Um, So just things like that, that, you know, when you start to really look beyond what he was putting forward um, and then and then he called the Constituent Assembly. Basically, Maduro created his own body to override the opposition. No, dude, we were there. There There's tens of thousands of people all over the country involved in one of the most beautiful democratic processes I've ever experienced. Um, It's just so offensive to render these people invisible and also to render them like zombies um, where they're just, you know, they're bribed with food or whatever. So just watch it, you guys. You won't be disappointed. Um, I'll put it on the timeline right now, but really incredible and really good ammo because it is a very confusing situation and really no one has explained it better than Mike. So check it out. Also, um, one thing you forgot to mention, Abby, which is fascinating, is that uh, Colombia actually joined oh my NATO God. very recently. Total of 29 member countries of NATO. This is from um, the Bogota Post. It is the first Latin American country to become a NATO member, which is very, very alarming because we are, like you said, we are seeing a ramp up of propaganda against Venezuela, other countries in Latin America who are adversarial to the United States. Um, this is a very bad sign. I mean, even, you know, we're going to go into this topic next, but even the, the silencing of Julian Assange at the Ecuadorian embassy marks a possible turn in where U.S. and Latin American relations are going right now under Trump. It's um, things are heating up. Uh, th- that's a very bad sign. I mean, yeah, Colombia so has been known to, to help the United States wa- wage covert CIA warfare in the past. So we really should be paying close attention to what, how this is going to evolve. Yeah. And this Julian Assange thing, look, I hate his politics. I, I think that Gateway Pundit is a disgusting, vile rag. Well, Julian that's his Assange new politics. Is a, but, we, but those like, are his new politics. But even so, what I'm yeah. saying is I don't give a shit. This is a man who is being arbitrarily detained and should be freed. I mean, how, look, look, put your politics aside. I just can't, I just can't believe, I, look, I know he, a lot of this is his own undoing where he pushed a lot of people away, but it's time to put politics aside and, and I don't know, offer some sort of solidarity for this man who has been holed up in essentially solitary confinement, who has been restricted access to visitors, unless they're approved now, no internet access and his health is failing. He he can't even leave to get an x-ray because he's scared he's going to get fucking arrested. And for the people who say, oh, he's not charged with anything. Why would he get extradited? The Trump administration said they want to charge him. They've been threatening him this whole time. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just really sad. It's sad because everyone has forgotten. Everyone hates him. And everyone just thinks that he should rot, uh, rot away in there. And I just totally disagree. I mean, I can look past his whatever he said on Twitter and look at the work that he's done and look at WikiLeaks as an organization and really stand by it. And I think that if you're a journalist, you should do that. And if you're just a caring, critical person, you should do that as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I have very mixed feelings about, about him um, and what he's done with the WikiLeaks brand, but I, I completely agree with you. Um, I don't think that he should be charged. Um, I don't think that he should be indicted for anything. 
Um, and this is complete. I mean, and I'm completely talking about this separately from the rape charges and why he's originally there in the first place. Um, those apparently have been dropped in Sweden, but the reason that he's still in the embassy is because he knows wisely that there are indictments, sealed indictments waiting for him. That'll be announced the moment he steps out of that embassy and he's arrested. I mean, they'll arrest him probably the second they announce right. the sealed indictment and unseal They've spent countless, I mean, they've spent tens of millions of dollars. This, this just came out in a cable of just surveilling him like secret spies to just be surrounding the embassy. This is all taxpayer money mm-hmm. from Britain. Um, they are watching him like a hawk, obviously, yeah. but just the, so, so much money wasted. Yeah. So, so much money wasted. And, um, and as you said, I mean, Julian Assange, you know, love him or hate him or, or neutral on him. I mean, he has, um, even though I strongly dislike the political turn he's taken in the past couple of years, it's like I will still support his right to speak and to and to live free. You know, there are other people as well who have been critical of him who still support him as well. Um, and that includes like people who are on the Pursuance Project Board, like Brigida and Barrett Brown and Raymond jo- Johansson. So there's people who kind of in our same camp who are still, you know, supporting his right to speak and stuff. But I feel like a lot of people on the left have just sort of just distanced themselves from him and don't really talk about it any very much anymore. And I don't, and I don't know why that is. It's because they don't want to get involved in sort of the Russian argument um, or they've already conceded that maybe he did get the leaks from Russia, even though I, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, so it is interesting how a lot of the support has dropped. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I mean, I know he really did hurt the brand i mean and and i don't know if that was him alone or people who are working around him and i still don't understand why he would be still you know i don't know who has control of the twitter account now but even after he got silenced at in the ecuadorian embassy there the wikileaks official twitter account is still retweeting the gateway pundit and jack posobiec and i do not understand what the purpose of that could possibly be because when I click on the links that they're posting, they just go to stuff that other news outlets are talking about. So it's like, what is the purpose of promoting figures like that? I don't understand it. And it really does make me suspicious of what their agenda is. But that still doesn't mean that I'm not going to support Julian Assange's right to speak and be free. I don't think he should go to right. jail or be indicted for what he did at all. Um, he hasn't really broken any laws, actually. That's what's interesting about That's it. That's what's so amazing is that he's I mean, just done journalism. They'll try to <laughs> concoct something. You're going to try to concoct something for sure. Well, just like this crazy DNC lawsuit that's just based on nothing and also just has widespread implications for press freedom. It's like very dangerous. Um, And and, and the reason that I brought this up is because it's coming on six years of him in the embassy detained arbitrarily. The UN has, has ruled it an arbitrary detention. We all know what's going on and it's time to show some support and solidarity for him. There's rallies, um, coming up at the embassy. If you live in London, I encourage you to go be a part of that and and show some support. Um, another really funny thing that happened, this was this made me happy actually, because Candace Owens, we talked about her before. She's horrible. She's she's this African American woman who's the communications director for Turning Point USA, the Charles Kirk organization, the the funnel for Koch brother Mercer Cash, who set up the fake free speech arguments on campus. They have people set up with diapers pretending that liberals are infringing their free speech. So that's that's where Candace Owen comes from. 
So she skyrocketed on the stage with Kanye West. He paraded her around to, to basically disparage black, um, the black struggle and to talk about how slavery was a choice. So of course she goes on Joe Rogan's show (laughs) (laughs) and I tried, I really did try to watch it because I wanted to see her because, because this is, this is a show where love Joe or hate him. I mean, look, people like Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, you on a platform like that, it actually helps them. Um, But on a platform like that, it hurt her, I think, because it showed that she is the most vapid fucking moron that's dumb as dirt. Um, I, she said like, 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 like every, every other word was like, um, she had no knowledge at all about very, very basic issues. Um, if you're going to be a mm-hmm. climate change denier, at least have some sort of argument for it. Um, it was really, really weird. And I'll just talk about that really quickly. She said she doesn't believe in climate change because the science was politicized. She basically politicizes the science by saying that 1%, that 1% of scientists who, who are peer reviewed and deny climate change, she says that those people are the truth tellers and that the people who are the peer reviewed scientists, the 99.9% are all a conspiracy of big science, the government funded grant funded big science. No, it's not the 1% of scientists who actually are paid by the fossil fuel industry. It couldn't be that. So she flips the conspiracy on its head because there is a fucking conspiracy. The conspiracy is very obvious. The conspiracy is to poison the well and have these dissenting scientists out there to muddy the waters. And that's why half of America doesn't believe in climate change, even though 1% of scientists disagree. So it's just stunning. I mean, they really get into the weeds about why. And so she goes a little bit deeper too about like why she doesn't believe the consensus and it's in, it's an interesting revelation because it explains a lot of the conservative sort of knee-jerk rep, reptile brain mindset where she was saying well al gore you know like exaggerated flies it and flies in a private jet it's like it's like sure al gore is a real hypocrite and he probably did exaggerate and and misstate a lot of the stuff in that movie that he put out the inconvenient truth however how interesting is it, though, that the conservative would hone in on that as like the reason why not to trust that climate change is real? It really does go to show the power of how these conservative grifters form entire like talking point frameworks based around like the statements of like one Democrat. That, or like that's, what like, about hateable. it's like, well, well, Al yeah. Gore does this. And you're like, that is yeah. means nothing. Like, like it's, it kind of reminds me of the same childlike logic of continually bringing up the Hillary Clinton, Obama, like uranium or Obama. Or thing. Yep. yep, 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 yep. And it's like, wow, like that's a really bad talking point to use because that's very generic, like right wing reptile brain knee jerk bullshit. Honestly, this is what like 90% of these conservative grifting outlets do is they bounce off dumb statements made by liberals or democratic politicians and then like debunk what they're saying is like the reason why the entire issue is bad or something it's it's a fascinating game that they play yeah it's it's so disingenuous yeah it is and it preys on kind of the the reptilian brain i mean obviously otherwise this shit wouldn't stick but um at the very beginning the first 10 minutes is hilarious because she starts right out of the gate by talking about how she's a victim. She talks about how she was victimized in high school, how someone called and left her this mean message. And she was like, she was like, and and then I was like victimized and this person like said all these things to me. And I was like, what the fuck am I listening to? Like, holy shit, you guys have made your entire existence based around how you shouldn't victimize yourselves yet. That's all I'm hearing from you. It was stunning. Did you hear that part? 
No, I didn't hear oh that part. But it's, but it's obvious. I mean, I, I, I have to just say out of the gates that it's an obvious lie. Can you imagine if you talked about like some stupid shit that ha- happened to you in high school? Like how immature and infantile that is. If I went on his show and I was like, this is something that someone did to me when I was in a sophomore in high school. Well, it's, I mean, the, the, I mean, I think she's only like 22 or whatever. So oh, okay. it makes, it makes a little bit <laughs> of sense why she would go to high school, but at so. the same time, she's a liar, I think, because here's, this is actually really interesting, Abby. Sam Cedar did a segment about this on his show. It really does raise the question, is Owens, Candace Owens, another fake, one of these other fake ass grifters? Like right. the people who started as Occupy celebrities like Tim Poole, and all of a sudden they're going to Sweden being paid by Paul Joseph Watson, you know, making refugees look like monsters. Right. I and mean, that's a very strange transition. You really have to wonder how many of these people are just fake ass motherfucking grifters who really don't care about like their political ideology at all and just like move to where the trends and the clicks are. Um, so she claims she said she herself two a- years ago. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that. So Sam Cedar found out that her very first upload on YouTube is a video of her, get this, reenacting herself coming out to her parents as a conservative. So if that doesn't sound weird, just, just break that down for a second. So what? she claimed she was a liberal who turned conservative and had to come out to her parents. If that doesn't sound fake ass enough, she did a reenactment of it for YouTube. That's weird shit. And that just sounds to to me makes it the story even more fake. That oh you had to God. reenact that scenario that probably never even happened. That sounds fake as fuck to me. So and I just want to wonder how many of these people are just literally constantly lying, pathologically lying dumbasses. Well, Robbie, who have no the, real the ideology gig, and who just the get gig the economy, easiest grift operation going. Gig economy is really tough, and these are huge vacuums of tons of fucking money. I mean, this is billions of dollars we're talking about that is with this right-wing media machine. Yeah. I mean, you really just think about how many shitty people there are. I mean, of course you're going to find people like her to just take the money and run, you know, and and just to say whatever the hell you tell her to. I mean, it's so phony. I mean, you could say whatever you want about the left if you're on the right, but man, like, it's interesting how they do not, the people in this bubble do not see the phoniness of their own figureheads. I mean, look at Dave Rubin. Do we have any evidence whatsoever that he was actually a liberal? Like, even when he was on The Young Turks, I've watched video clips of him on The Young Turks, and he just chuckles and doesn't fucking say a thing. So, all of a sudden, he's now this right-wing pundit who claims he's a classical liberal and only bringing on, like, people like Ben Shapiro. I mean, just another example, Dave Rubin also likes to claim that he had a stand-up comedy career, that he used to tour all around the country playing stand-up comedy clubs. An investigative journalist actually looked into it, and he found out that Dave Rubin has an enormous gap in his history of retelling his stand-up comedy career story. He claims he has anywhere between, if you read some interviews, 10 years and 15 years history doing stand-up comedy. I'm sorry, but I know stand-up comics, and all of them know exactly how long they've been doing stand-up comedy. That is a huge gap in retelling your story of how long you've been practicing an art form. That is that sounds really fucking phony to me. Well, and it also is phony when you look at the stand-up comedy and see how absolutely atrocious and laughably bad it is where he can't even get through one. I actually didn't even hear him say a joke. He just pulls the audience and says, who here's gay? Who here's gay? Who here's straight? Who here's bi? And like that's his set, I guess, because again, he he hates identity politics, but for some reason you can't 
not hear how gay he is every time he something he speaks. It's just unbelievable. And and the the stand up thing seems to be a correlation because Candace Owens told Joe Rogan that she thinks that she would be great at stand up because she's so funny. It's Maybe really interesting how her little self awareness these people have. Yeah, her and Dave Rubin should go on a little tour and see how um how popular it'd be. That'd be really amazing. Yeah, and I heard Dave Rubin claim that he was going back to stand up comedy, and then his first set <laughs> killed. He absolutely killed, and it was really encouraging. Well, where and is it? Let's watch it. I know. It's fascinating. Actually, this investigative journalist was only able to find two bookings he's had in, in the entire history of stand-up comedy. Um, so that's what's actually fascinating. Oh, is my God. No one actually has any evidence of this, but all these like dumb New York comedians who tend to be right-leaning will bring Dave Rubin on their show and just like let him talk about a stand-up comedy career without even questioning it. It's like, dude, you guys, you guys must know he's lying, right? Like... You, you you haven't seen him in the, on the circuit? Like, I mean, come on. So it's actually it's just fascinating how even someone like Dave Rubin, who, you know, seems like smarter than some of these other people, would just like blatantly lie about his past. Dude, I, I mean, love that he did, though. That's so funny. Including the fact that, that he was up. a liberal. Oh my like, God. I, who, who believes that? Who believes right. that people can just be staunch liberals and all of a sudden just turn conservative i don't believe that especially with trump you're like you know what i was i was this liberal and then you're like and then trump just inspired me to be conservative yeah i'm sorry i don't believe that That i don't believe that at all i really have to fundamentally question (laughs) your entire history and actually go back and say maybe you've been lying the whole time well, and also, and you really see their arguments have no merit whatsoever when Candace Owens, I mean, they, Kyle Kalinske put it best. He said they start with the end statement, which is Trump is awesome. And then they just work backwards from there. So Candace Owens come, comes out of the gate and she's like, Trump is amazing. Um, and then she just says all of these uh, talking points that have no facts behind them. She's like, he protected jobs from being shipped overseas. He's helped the middle class because that's what deregulation is. I mean- do we even have to debunk this? I mean, that the carrier thing, that was a total farce. They ended up shipping all the jobs out anyway. Deregulation over the past 30 years has done nothing but give more power to small tyrannies with no constitution or moral compass. I mean, how how has that helped the middle class? Um, 95% of all the recovery from the recession has gone to the top 1%. How has that helped the middle class? Um, all deregulation just helps corporations. And one and the one percent by being able to take on more risk, it actually doesn't help people. Candace, so it's just it's just so tired. Yeah, it's and tired. it's really it's just fascinating how someone like Kanye can just mention her name, and then all of a sudden Trump re- retweets her, and then now she's on the Joe Rogan show and she's this huge figure. Really, that's how easy it is. What kind of figureheads the the sort of right wing movement pushes to the top? Well, let's talk about Rose. Let's talk about Roseanne because this is um, this is another one of these figures who, you know, ABC wants to pretend like they were shocked and horrified, and all of the staff too from Roseanne was like, "I, I do not." You know, everyone took to Twitter and made their own statements. I'm sorry, did Roseanne just fall to the fucking sky? Someone who flips like you're saying from progressive to hardcore, like fascist and an Islamophobe. There's something wrong with you if you're not faking it. Um, we know that Roseanne is mentally ill, but I don't want to use mental illness as an excuse for racism because I think that that's horseshit. Yeah. And but, not just um, mentally ill. She actually suffered from a severe head injury right. when she was young, younger and got right. brain damage. 
but this is someone who has been saying rabid vitriol about Muslims for years. And she says Palestinians are Nazis. She called to nuke a school after the Jews got out. I mean, she took the photo shoot, dresses Hitler with the burned cookies that she said later were Palestinians. So I don't understand how you can feign shock and horror now. You know, she already called Susan Rice an ape with big man monkey balls um, back in 2013. So I just find that really hilarious that everyone comes out and feign shock, you know, ABC and all these people. It's just really, um, it just, it just bothersome. But I mean, you know, again, I'm, I'm happy that her show got, show got canceled though. Cause I, I think she's disgusting. I feel bad for John Goodman and everyone else that that's associated with it who lost their jobs, but hopefully they continue it without her. I just don't know why they ever gave her a reboot to begin with. I really don't. I don't know either. I mean, it's obviously, I think we were, we've already discussed this obviously because of the full house reboot and the success of that, that somehow they thought they could pull this off. Um, the difference is no one on full house is like a crazy racist on Twitter. I mean, but, but unless you count Bob Saget, who's like a crazy, like um, dirty, really dirty comedian, like off of full house, but you know, he's never really, I don't think he's really made any jokes um, calling black people apes or anything like that, you know, jokes, I put that in quotes. It's not, it's just funny how people would say that's a joke. It's actually not a joke. It's because it's not funny. It's not even attempting to be funny. She said that Valerie Jarrett looks like a mix between Muslim, the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes. The Muslim Brotherhood conspiracies come from a PNAC neocon named Frank Gaffney and the Center for American Security, which actually two employees from the Center for American Security are now consulting the Trump administration on Iranian regime change plans. A guy named Fred Fleets and Jim Hansen, two very dangerous motherfuckers. Look both of them up on the internet, especially Fred Fleets. Um, on Amazon, his book titles are nuts. I mean, it but, makes Bill Crystal and Robert Kagan look like sane, right. civilized people. Oh, I yeah, mean, no. It's crazy shit. But hilariously, Roseanne came out and she was like, no, no, no. She was like, I actually thought she was white. <laughs> and then like all these dumbasses, like some other guy with a huge verified following was like, hold on. He was like, everyone hold the press. He was like, if she thought he, if she thought Valerie Jarrett was white, that changes everything. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? Oh my god, it's like, so strange Abby, to watch didn't. these alt right and like right wing people like fall all over themselves trying to defend and explain this. I mean, this is just something that I thought was fascinating. Is they all deployed this weaponized meme of Bill Maher calling Trump an orangutan? Oh, I know. And they were like, oh, but this was okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's so like, we're going to yeah, fire Bill okay. Maher now? And it's like, of well, first of all, okay. yeah, fire fire Bill Maher because he's a piece of shit and I hate him. <laughs> but no, dude, that's completely different. Like, if you honestly can't tell the difference, if you don't understand the difference between saying a black person looks like an ape and uh, that Trump looks like an ape, then you're either lying or you are fucking moron. It's so bizarre. <laughs> Alex Jones went on 10 minute rant. No. Saying that he doesn't understand no. why it's ever offensive to compare anyone, including black people to apes. Because what? he said, I look rather gorilla like myself when I take my shirt off. I look simian. What's wrong with that? He actually oh, fucking said that on his show. My God. They don't even, it's like they can't even admit all these conservative pundits and outlets, like they can't just be honest about how racist that was. 
That's and be like, so should someone get me. fired for making a racist tweet? That should be their framework. Right, right. Then right, I would right, be like, right. okay, I'll read your stupid ass Brit- Breitbart article about this because they kind of have a point. Should someone get fired for saying this? I can, I can engage in that debate. Not how is this racist? It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Just be honest, man. Just be honest. Hold the presses. It's this just so bizarre. Everything. The Twilight Zone. These people create. <laughs> oh my god! Talk about the Twilight Zone. Um, let's wrap up this segment with talking about the primaries. Good God! I mean, here we are in the Trump era. Diane fucking Feinstein, someone who's been in the Senate for thirty years. I think 1992 actually is when she got, but she was the mayor of San Francisco before that. She's famous as a mayor of San Francisco for actually trying incessantly to prosecute black activists who continue to try to take down the Confederate flag at city hall. So that was her legacy in San Francisco after riding the coattails of, you know, the Harvey milk legacy and trying to ride the coattails of the gay rights movement. And then when she gets into the Senate, she ostracized herself from all the progressives and actual leftists at the time. There probably were a lot more in the DNC by full on embracing the death penalty and saying she refused to let it up. And so she was booed like off the stage and she ended up using commercials from that to basically tell people in California, like, look, even like leftists and progressives hate me because I'm like so moderate. Like I'm going to, I'm going to like be like the voice for all people so she used that as like a campaign for her to show how how great she was and how she wasn't swayed by progressives. So fast forward till today where she's been serving for, you know, well beyond her her stay. There should be term limits, I think. I just think that she's just a ridiculous person for this year to come out and be like, by the way, I'm not going to budge on any other issue. You know, she's anti-single payer. Even when California voted in the single payer, she blocked it. She's anti $15 an hour minimum wage. She's voted for the wars. She's voted to fund the wars. She's backed by defense contractors. Her husband is a huge defense contractor um, tie-in. She voted for the bailout. I mean, the list goes on and on. Immigration, all of that shit. She's no friend of progressive. She's she's basically a Republican. Um, and then so that that's why it was so funny this year when she's running for re-election again to come out and basically the only issue she budged on was the death penalty. You know, because I, 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 I think that when I'm 84, I'll probably be changing my mind on issues, too. It's like, can you imagine coming out and being like, you know what? We looked at the data and it uh, turns out that innocent people have been killed on death row. So I'm actually not going to support this anymore. And that's my big my big eek to the left here to try to get progressive votes. And um, and then she ended up getting, I think, like 42 percent of the vote. She's just done nothing but embody corporate centrism. And I hate when people call California the most progressive state because it isn't. This is not progressive. People fucking vote like partisan hacks. They they just go with name recognition and party recognition alone. We're so tribal and they've been beaten to death by with these resistant pundits by saying you just need to vote Democrat and that's the solution. It's just fucking pathetic. I think if you took any one of these people living in this state who were progressive minded people and actually went through the policies that Dianne Feinstein supports, 99% of them would not want to vote for her but just it's just the information i mean you they just don't even know and that's where we're at and then and then and then you look at what actually happened in la One hundred and fifty thousand 
Um, 2.3% of LA County's 5.1 million registered voters, 35% of the county's precincts were affected by an egregious voting error, which basically knocked 150,000 people's names off the rosters. And they had to fill out provisional ballots, which are basically placebo votes because they aren't ever counted. And so here she is. She she won. And, and this other guy, another corporate dem, came right behind her, this guy named Kevin Leon. And here's the real problem here. 32 candidates, I think, were running for Senate. And you have PSL, which is the Party for Socialism and Liberation. They were running actual socialists under the Peace and Freedom Party. The Peace and Freedom Party is a really important um progressive option. So it's an eco-socialist party that was founded by Black Panthers and anti-war activists that were betrayed by the Democrats' support of the Vietnam War. So I I mean, it's amazing that we even have that option, you know, considering the restrictions of ballot access, how the Green Party, that's why Jill Stein had to run under peace and freedom because the Green Party was blocked. So long tangent, but I mean, what I was getting at was that how sad is it that we could have had a chance to really out Dianne Feinstein with an actual progressive and or leftist because there were certainly people running. However, everyone was split where you had DSA, Democratic Socialists, the Bernie Sanders camp. Um, I honestly am convinced that they're almost like designed to just fold into the Democrats at this point because they didn't endorse any socialist candidates. They put out a voter guide for the Feinstein race. They just said anyone but Feinstein. It's like, wait, you guys aren't even going to endorse anyone? There's 30 candidates. Like, we're just going to all split our votes between all these people? It was just such a fucking mess. Um, And then you had New York Times the next day saying, great day for Democrats, bad day for leftists. Didn't get what you wanted. Sorry, guys. It's like, yeah, well, this is our fucking system that we're forced to deal (laughs) with in a state that should be its own country. Um, here's an interesting example of just a dip into neoliberal land of how sort of, you know, people living in a Hollywood bubble and a neoliberal bubble explain and, and celebrate Diane Feinstein's win. Um, Kathy Griffin tweeted on June 6th, um, she's, she's an amazing inspiration because of her age. I am so sick of people complaining about the fact that she's 80. Is that a crime? Do you know how many men are 80 or older in Congress? But Senator Feinstein is supposed to fade away? Nope, not today. Hashtag respect. Hashtag and centrism. What a, what a sad ass way to look at the world. Like, yeah, it's like, were you just holding Trump's de- decapitated yeah. head? You basically wow. take like an identity politics, like nonsense argument about ageism and use that as a deflection away from all the, her horrible policies. It's like, yeah, her age is a problem. But that's like not the main problem here at all, man. Right. Like she has a horrible platform. So it's interesting that that's the low hanging fruit someone like Kathy Griffin would go towards. Like it's basically saying you're ageist if you don't like Diane Feinstein. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly. And just like you're a misogynist, um, sexist if you don't like Hillary. So now it's getting into the ageism and the sexism. So it's not about her policies. It's not about the fact that she's a corporate shill and a warmonger. It's about that you're an ageist. Yeah, we re- did really did reach the point of no return during Hillary with the weaponization of the Bernie bro meme because people still use it. Just like I was saying about Joanne Reed, she's only being attacked because people hate black women or Hillary's only being attacked because she's a woman. You know, it's like, wow, like that's really an unfortunate place to go to argue from. You know, it's almost oh, like you've abandoned all right. logic and reason and you're not even really making an argument anymore. You can't argue on behalf of this person you've given up explain it for people because i'm not completely familiar with the dsa explain who they are and and why 
they should be expected to endorse actual specific socialist running. Like, why why do you think they didn't? So they've been a longtime organization, but after the Bernie movement, obviously, they, they got millions of members. So their membership exploded after Bernie's candidacy. Um, but it ended up kind of being designed to fold into the Democrats because, again, Democratic socialists, they're st- they still have Democrat in their name. And we know what Bernie did in the in the campaign. But I still was convinced that when you had a primary like this, that they would have voted for, you know, and in the jungle primary, let's just explain this really quickly. In California, we have a primary system that's super fucked up and reactionary and basically designed to stifle third parties being an option in the general election. So the jungle primary system is the top two most voted for candidates in all sectors go to the top. So it could feasibly be be between just two Republicans that you're choosing um, between for senator, for governor, everything. Um, so, you know, before you were able to choose third party options in the general election, and that was amazing. Now you aren't. So the only chance that you have to actually support third party candidates is in the primary. And in this primary in California, there was a socialist running for peace and freedom that actually had a chance in all the polls leading up to the election. She had second place almost. She could have potentially had second place is what I'm saying if people really tried because she was polling equal to another person. And DSA didn't endorse her. Um, I think it's a stepping stone for a lot of people because once people who are getting into politics, I, I can understand why they would be attracted to the organization. But I think that people who are realistic about the barriers of the political system and working, quote unquote, within the system that we have um, are going to quickly come out of that and go toward organizations like PSL or more serious organizations who take a stance um, you know, on foreign policy and have really, really set solid platform policies that make sense. Um, if you're really going to be, you know, a, a call yourself a, a socialist, then I think that that's the route that you can go on. At this point in the game, if you are still sucked into the Democrats as being the best hope, there's something wrong, man. Yeah, there really is something wrong. This is what they do every time. They co-opt real resistance and revolutionary energy and the language and fold it into their base to get votes. They're just a machine to bring voters out to the polls for them. That's all they exist for. It's such a fascinating difference between the way the GOP has a relationship with their sort of like the core Trump base, you know, who really are vastly different from them in a lot of ways, but yet they carry out and they get sort of like bolstered by the MAGA crowd sort of own agenda, like the wall and, you know, the travel ban and stuff like that. It's interesting. I mean, I mean, it's, it's almost like the GOP lets a lot of these more radical factions of their own party dictate their policies that like the Democrats like really sh- have locked this shit down really good. I mean, they, they have better control and corralling abilities than the GOP has ever had. I feel like maybe, you know, even even better than the evangelical sort of corralling GOP did. I mean, I've never. I it's it actually really interesting how well they've locked it down, and even you know tr- the the getting these organizations to like not promote socialist candidates and stuff. It's like wow, I, I that's a really pa- that's a really powerful thing. We've mentioned this into the ground already, but just the fact that the the DNC emails just showed that Bernie was getting already sabotaged. I mean, like he was openly being sabotaged by the DNC, who was supposed to remain neutral. I mean, what does that say? Like he was literally the only person still in the primary running against Hillary Clinton, and that was still such an a, like an egregious thing to them. 
that they had to sabotage him. It sh- it really shows how broken they are and how much they need to control the whole thing. They can't let like any real leftism in for some reason. No, no. They put up a fucking them. steel wall around it. They th- it threatens the status quo, and and we're never going to change the Democrats. That is who they are. They exist to trap the energy and to con- to constrain it, basically, to prevent it from ever going anywhere, to actually threaten them. That's literally what they're designed to do. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to fall victim to this. And I'm sick of being intellectually bribed time and again. You're just shamed for for voting with your conscience, and, and I'm sick of it. I haven't done that for a long time, but it seems like the stakes keep getting higher, like by design. Yeah, they'll always act like, I mean, it's just always the trick, you know, the, right. make, to smear the third party candidate. But this is actually different in the sense that I feel like, yeah, you're right. The stakes have gotten even higher in the sense that people are sh- so trying to smear Bernie, too. I mean, that that that's to me what was weird about it. I mean, I remember when Hillary and Obama were running against each other, a lot of people did not like Obama. But, you know, a lot of that smearing came off as just more petty and sour grapes it wasn't like a systematic, like from the top down smear job of Obama, from what I remember back then, you know, it was more just like there were two different factions and the other side really didn't like the other one. And they sort of let them squabble amongst themselves. But this is like coordinated smears to lock the shit the fuck down to make sure that like Hillary was like untouchable, um, burnt, you know, they're deploying the Bernie bro weaponized meme. I mean, so many aspects of it. it just it really does it it appears that the stakes are way higher to them like they don't want they even want to let less of that in now yeah now they now they're going to fund anti-choice candidates i mean it's been the opposite trajectory with both parties the republicans have opened the tent to everyone pedophiles rapists nazis, nazis. Um, Nazis, any, people anything who say Chinaman and yep, run yep. campaign anything. ads calling people Chinaman. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's in there now. Anything, um, but but in terms of the Democrats, they've closed down. They've shut their doors to anyone that could remotely threaten their basically profit making measures. I mean, I don't know what the fuck they're thinking because if they actually use the same strategy that the GOP is, they would be winning every election. It's almost like they're there to lose at this point. It's very fascinating. I mean, it really is, you really have to ask a question, what are they thinking, Getting pushing so much energy behind people who are so bad, like Cory Booker, like Kamala Harris, like um, Joe Kennedy? I mean, it, it, it almost seems like they do want to lose. I mean, it's nuts how bad these people are for being like the new exciting faces of the Democratic Party. I mean, if that's just going to run in the next primary, that it's an automatic fucking loss. Trump is yeah. going to trounce them. Are you kidding me? And then you me? have um, just like all these people, like Allison Hartston, this other guy, David, who was running for Senate. They were both good candidates, both like not taking a dime of corporate cash. But the amount of energy and money behind their campaigns and then to have them come in so far behind because of all the split votes with all these progressives and stuff just broke my heart. Because I just thought, man, it's just such a waste. It's like squandering so much energy and just crushing everyone's like, I don't know, like enthusiasm every time, you know, like all these mm-hmm. people who were all excited and going out knocking door to door. And then like, what do they think? And are they going to be engaged? It's like, I just feel like maybe this energy and the money put into these campaigns could be better spent building movements or building the movements that that could possibly push these politicians once they're in there. That Because that's that's what we know ever really works to push anyone on policy is like if there's fucking millions of people in the street forcing them like that that's how obama passed daca 
was because there was millions of immigrants in the streets and he had to do fucking something um, to appease them, even if it was, you know, not enough. So yeah, it's just I'm, sad. I'm really torn on the idea of like spending money, you know, just try, trying to run a symbolic campaign as much as I support third parties and I hate Democrats and the two party system. Like, I don't know, you know, it's it's it, it it does seem to be like a mostly a symbolic gesture but they were running for democrats they, they, i'm not even oh, talking about were. the peace and freedom okay. candidates yeah those people i totally support just having that option on the ballot yeah. totally but the, no these are two like people who ran as democrats like the justice democrat-esque mm -hmm. and and they still it was just it was crushing it was a crushing defeat and how funny is it too that people still one of the main smears I still see against Bernie Sanders that comes out, and I just need to say for the record, like I'm not a huge fan of Bernie Sanders. I have a lot of problems with his foreign policy, but it is just really interesting how they just keep pulling out the same smears or they've really settled on one now, which I see very often, which is Bernie Sanders isn't a Democrat. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah why yeah, is he yeah, trying yeah. to run as a Democrat? Right. Like he's not a Democrat. Like fuck this guy. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. it's like, Wow. Like, I mean, wow, that's so just, I mean, they, that it just really shows how non-inclusive it is. Right. Like, it just, it's, it's, it like can't be emphasized enough that they do not want to open the doors to anyone, even remotely progressive at this point. So that's where we're at in California. The only silver lining that I see is just honestly the weed, the weed legalization across the country in this kind of post-prohibition era. I mean, I, I never thought it would happen this quickly and I find it very surreal and I think the Palestine stuff, and we'll talk about this in the next episode because we're going to wrap this one up right now. But those two issues are giving me a lot of hope, actually, because I see things changing so rapidly around both of them, even though it seems like everything else is stalled. Um, so, yeah, just to try to bring some sort of silver lining to the end of this. But I mean, the, the election was pretty disheartening. I, I, I mean, I wasn't expecting Feinstein to lose. I just was expecting someone actually progressive to do a little bit better in a state that's supposed to be the most revolutionary radical state in the country. Yeah, we, we really have a long way to go. I mean, you know, we're supposed to be the most revolutionary radical state, but yet we have this giant corporate engine here of all these defense companies and Silicon Valley companies that are like ruining privacy and murdering millions across the world. I mean, it's it's a really interesting juxtaposition when you really look at what California really embodies. I mean, it's um, the fifth largest economy in the world. We can't forget that. It's a very important aspect of global capitalism. Um, so, yeah, for being the supposedly the most revolutionary state or whatever, we have a lot of problems here. And we've let things run rampant. I mean, there's almost virtually no regulation on companies like Google or facebook i mean it's it's nuts how what they've been allowed to do um and it's also worth noting like companies like uber and stuff have thrived here and used us as sort of their testing ground we got we got a lot of uh, a lot of things that we need to change here in california still but thank you so much for listening to media roots radio really appreciate everyone's feedback um please watch the videos that i recommended and let us know what you think on our soundcloud timeline someone else brought up the different um avenues that we could also post this podcast on can you please write that in the soundcloud timeline if you get this far in the podcast and let us know any other avenues other than itunes other than soundcloud we really want to branch out as much as possible with this podcast and we just we just either don't have the time or don't have you know know really where to put it or or how else to get it out there so if you guys have any advice let us know 
please donate. Yeah, yeah go ahead. And on, and on iTunes, um, you know, not everybody has iTunes. Not everybody has Apple devices. I'm not sure if they let you can install that on Android. But um, with iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast and have it automatically download to your device, like whenever we release it. So people have been asking how to do that. That's how you do that. Um, and then if you find the SoundCloud interface annoying, which we completely understand, it's a terrible interface, um, use the app Stitcher, or it's actually a website, Stitcher, um, that you can stream Media Roots from and, and the, 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 like, the cursor to you know, skip ahead and stuff is a lot easier to use on a phone. For now, if you hate SoundCloud, use those two options, and we're working on getting more options up. And we're still looking for volunteers to help us upload segments from Media Roots Radio to YouTube. And please also consider donating to Media Roots Radio through Patreon at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. Thanks so much, you guys. Peace. <laughs>